0: I am so appreciative to the Wexler family for this special privilege that I have to be here with you and learn together, connect, unite, and be here with each other in an expression of those three powerful words that we just said two days ago together as communities all over the world gathered outdoors or indoors near their homes or in their shuls. Chazak, chazak, Be strong and be strong and let's strengthen each other. This special shi'er that's happening here right now streamed around the world with so many hundreds and hundreds who have come together. I see the numbers are quite large. Baruch Hashem, I don't know exactly how many people but I see... A lot of people here, right? Wow, okay. Before it was a thousand. I see now 3,000, 3,366 people. So it's really very special. It's very special. I want to thank the whole family for, for being behind this and for organizing this as a special token and a schus for a complete and speedy recovery, a Rafur shleim o for our dear friend, Reb Moshe Mechal ben Temeleya, and for Chay Yisara Bas And I begin with extending my blessings and our blessings on behalf of the thousands of Jews, on behalf of people who are here with us, or will watch later, all around the world, davening and praying to Hashem, that he grants a complete and speedy recovery to Rebbe Moshe Mechal ben Tamalaya and to Chayasarabas Tamalaya. bas May you enjoy many, many long, prosperous, happy, healthy years fully healthy and wholesome to be able to go from strength to strength, a life filled with serenity, good health, good spirits, tranquility, tremendous nachas from all the children and grandchildren, to be able to dance at all of their weddings, besayvah smachas, and to be able to enjoy with your families many, many years with bracha and hatzlacha, ad die Betaev hanirva Hanigla, revealed goodness, and that Hashem should really give you continue to give you the strength, the inspiration to overcome all the adversity, all the challenges and experience only light and a full recovery Everyone who's joining us here I need not tell you about the work and the life story of our dear friend Michal, Michael as some of you know him Reb Moshe Michal ben Tamalea. One of the pillars, I know he's not going to like this, but I'll say it anyway. One of the pillars of the Jewish community in Great Britain, in England, in London, a person who continues to personify humility, sensitivity, dignity, inner strength, resilience, faith, integrity, kindness. Everybody knows if you need a favor, clandestinely, Without fanfare, without drama, there's an address to go to. A person who embodies a life dedicated to learning Torah, and not only learning Torah, but living Torah, breathing Torah, exuding the light, the warmth, the love, the dignity, the fairness, the justice, and the compassion that a Jew who really lives with Torah lives by a source of blessing and inspiration, not only to his family. Really do I hear children speak about their father as your children speak about you and your wife. But also to friends, to relatives, to the community, to people close and to people far, and all in such an unassuming and dignified, beautiful, beautiful way. The life story of Chayasara. Her dedication to prayer, to faith, to inspire people constantly with chizuk and amuna, is equally legendary. So, on this special time, as we gather together, we offer you all of our love, all of our chizuk, all of our inspiration, all of our blessings, all of our light, and we daven together. <speaking in Hebrew> Yish lach ezrecha mekaydush umetsiyen yisadaka. Yis kerkomen chaysecha vaylascha yidash nesela. Yitin l'cha chi l'vavecha v'chol atzoscho Neranan nobishua serho vashemale no nidgirl. Yemale adinoi coal mischaloy serhati adaiti keshi adinoi mishikoi. Yaneumish me kotche bigvuris eshe yemine. Elovarech of Elovasusim anachno beshema denele no He makorov and a follower anachno kamnovan isoidot. Adinoi shea hamelech yane novioim kareno. I'm also going to ask everyone who's gathered wherever you are to take a few coins or a few dollars or a checkbook or a credit card and give some tzedakah, charity, in the merit of Reb Moshe Mechal ben Temalei, in the merit of Chayisar Abbas Temalei. And we're now going to learn some Torah. So together the combination of prayer and Torah and charity, the three pillars upon which the world stands, as it says in Pirkei Yavis, the big world and the small world, the macro and the micro, the Olam Gadl and the Olam Katan, the three pillars of life of the world, is Torah, Avedah, Gemilus Chasadim. the study of Torah, the work of the service of the heart, Avedah Shabalev, and Gemilus Chasadim, acts of kindness and generosity, which is what makes Rab Michal and Chayasara such pillars, because they live by these three pillars of Torah, Avedah, Gemilus Chasadim. May all of this add and increase even more light and more blessings for a complete and speedy recovery, and may we be able to see it with our eyes here and now, and very speedily in our days. May you ever but sharcha and may we all see psurus tevis Yeshuas v'nechamas for you, for all of our brothers and sisters the world over, and for all good people the world over until the great moment of healing of our entire world. So, oh. I was asked to speak about transforming darkness into light, and I think perhaps the best way to uh, open up such a conversation—you'll forgive me—but you know we often like uh, opening our speeches with some humor. <laughs> the Gemara says that before Rabbah would begin his shiur, he would start with a milsa debdiches. He would start with an anecdotal comment, dubatchi rabbonon. The rabbis would laugh, they would kvell, and then. Yosef b'Shmaitz, or Pasach b'Shmaitz, and then he would, they would sit in awe, and he would begin, he would begin the shear. Anyway, they tell a story about this Jewish couple that got into a fight, and they were bickering with each other, and they were, you know, a little uh, mean and rude to each other, and unfortunately, they did not make up before they went to sleep. You know, it's it's always good to. Sometimes you can't make up before you go to sleep. Sometimes you have to sleep out at night and tomorrow you both won't be tired and everything will be fine. But they did not make up with each other and they went to sleep. Now, he had a flight the next morning. And he was not a morning person. He used to sleep late. The problem is his flight was 5 o'clock in the morning. So he had to wake up (laughs) 3... He had to wake up 3 o'clock in the morning in order to make his flight. His wife was an early bird. So he... He... He would usually ask his wife to wake him up. Problem is, they weren't on speaking terms. They got into this fight and they're ignoring each other. So what does he do? He knew that his wife wakes up in the middle of the night a few times, so he left a note near her bed. And he says, do me a favor. Please, when you wake up, wake me up 3 o'clock in the morning so I should be able to make my flight. Anyway, he wakes up 10.30 in the morning. He looks at the clock. voy. He wants to start screaming at his wife, but then he sees a note near his bed. My dear beloved husband, it's three o'clock in the morning. It's time to wake up. We all know that humanity is divided into two groups. <laughs> and forgive me for the superficiality, but there's actually a Rashi, a Sechta who says this. Some people are night owls; They're night people. Some people are morning people. There are those... They will not sleep after sunrise. David Amelik says, Aira Shachar, I wake up the dawn, and our sages say, and the dawn should not wake me up. They like to march to the rhythm of Mother Nature. Dawn has broken, it's time for you to get out of bed. Sun has risen, there's no excuse anymore to be attached to the mattress. It's time to wake up together with the roosters, together with the birds and start singing the symphony of life. These people wake up with sunrise, and once the sun sets, night comes, they're ready to go into bed. I just met a neighbor of mine, I mean, we were walking home Friday night, So we were just talking about, you know, schedules, and he tells me, listen, he says, I wake up every morning 4.15 a.m., not a minute later, it's been decades, 4.15 a.m., now these days here in Muncie, sunrise is around 7.20 so 4.15 a.m. is three hours before sunrise. So it's pitch dark. It's, 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 it's a long time before dawn. It's pitch, pitch dark. And uh, he said, I wake up 4.15 a.m. every single day. I said, when do you go to sleep? He goes to sleep 9 p.m. After 9 p.m., you will not catch him up. I said, what happens? You know, Baruch Hashem in New York and in London, a lot of simchas. I said, what happens if you have a simcha in Brooklyn? He said, I have a simcha in Brooklyn. It throws my week off. I'm jet-lagged for a week. It destroys and ruins the week. Because there's a rhythm. There's a rhythm. 4.15, I'm up. 9 o'clock, I'm in bed. It's one type of people. But we all know there's another group of people. We call them the night people. When dawn breaks, they decide to go to sleep. You know, they suddenly come to life. 10 o'clock at night, they come to life. Other people are falling on their feet. They turn into pumpkins. They can't function anymore. And these people, night comes and they become alive. And if these two people are married to each other, good luck. So the and Freilich. Morning people, you know, they love to wake up 4.15. At latest, 5.15. They open the door to bring in the newspaper, right? They make their coffee. They know exactly when they're cleaning the table after the coffee. They're the ones who open the shul for shacharis or are sitting at their desk in the office at 7.30 in the morning, at least pre-corona. They know exactly their schedule. They are predictable. They are meticulous. They are precise. And they have the trajectory for their day set out before them. They even know exactly when they're going to nap. They take their 12-minute power nap at 30 in the afternoon. If you'll call them after 10 o'clock at night, you will probably get a pretty tough response. In what planet do you live? How dare you call me 10 o'clock at night for something that's not an emergency? But then there's a whole other group of people. They start their day when it gets dark. You will not see them in the office too early in the morning. Even 10 in the ten in the morning, they're still, <laughs> they're still in a bad mood. Late afternoon, evening... That's when their souls are resurrected. That's when they start thinking. 11 o'clock at night, now is the time to return telephone calls. Now is the time to answer WhatsApps, to respond to texts, to answer emails. Now is probably the time for exercise as well. 1 o'clock a.m., they will probably send you a message on WhatsApp. I'm looking you, I'm searching for you for an hour. Why don't you answer? Now, the way to figure out who you are is, you have to figure out when you wake up on vacation, when you don't have to work, or during corona, when you're quarantined. There are those, no difference, shul, work, no shul, no work. They're up when you have to be up. And then there are other people who are, they follow very, very different, different schedules. What we want to discuss today is, tonight, today, By me it's day, by you it's night. We're going to try to make peace in this class. What does God believe in? How did Hashem work? When God created the world, when did His day begin? When did God's day begin? Did God's day begin 5 o'clock a.m.? Or did God's day begin 5 o'clock p.m.? Well, we all know the answer. Open up. Bereishis, open up Genesis. I'm translating it to English because I know we have a lot of diverse people. I want everybody to understand. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. He gave light the name day, and he separated between light and darkness. And what does it say afterwards? There was evening, there was morning. Day one. Then comes the creation of the second day. There was evening, there was morning, day two. There was evening and there was morning, day three. Same with day four, day five. And day six, Yom Hashish. In other words, when did God, when did Hashem, the Rebbein Hashem, start His day? Not by day. He started His day by night. The first day of creation, according to Jewish tradition, is the 25th day of Eloh. According to one opinion, according to Rabbi Yeshua, it's the 25th day of other. Discussed in Gemara Masechot Rosh Hashanah. When did the 25th of Elul begin? God created the, the world, so to speak, on a Sunday. We call it a Sunday. When did Sunday begin? Sunday began Sunday morning. Sunday began Saturday night midnight. Sunday morning midnight of Saturday night? No. It began with night. With the sunset of the night before, That's when the 25th of Elul began. And indeed, this is the Jewish tradition until this very day. Unlike so many other cultures around the world, when do our days in the Jewish calendar begin? They don't begin with sunrise. They don't begin midnight. They begin the night before. In fact, this is sometimes a source of confusion for people. People who come to Shul Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, they often don't know that Yom Kippur starts the night before. Yom Kippur starts in the morning. So you come to Shul Yom Kippur. And you stay till the night. They don't know that the next night is not Yom Kippur. The next night is the day after Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur starts the night before. Shabbos doesn't begin Saturday morning. It doesn't begin Friday night midnight. It begins Friday evening when the sun sets. That's the full Shabbos. That's when Shabbos begins. Sunset and nightfall. Every single calendar by us, Follows the system of creation, as the Gemara says in the beginning of Brachas. The Gemara says, Why does the Mishnah, the opening of the whole Mishnah, begin with the words from when do we reach Shema at night? Why do we begin with that? And the Gemara says, It follows the creation system of the, it follows the system of creation first, dark and then light. God started the day at night. He finished the day with daytime. As the sun sets, a new day begins. This is how it is. People have often asked the question, why does Judaism function this way? It seems a little strange to start your day at night. Usually, Night, evening, is the end of the day. You come home from work. You take off your tie, if you wear a tie these days. You take off your tie. I'm talking pre-corona. I know everything changed now. You don't go to work. You don't come home from work. Depends on the situation. But in, in, in you know those days of normalcy, if we could call them, if we could call an, as any era of history normal, night is the time. You relax, you uh, loosen your bones, you come home. It's the end of the day. You know, you say, you tell your wife, you tell them, it's been a long day. I'm happy to be home. <laughs> Plop down on the couch. I'm very happy to get in bed. The night always represents, you know, the sun sets, it's been a long day, and we finished the day. Tomorrow, there's going to be a new day. Anayatag. The sun will rise, and there'll be a Yishachos. dani lefanacha melechai v'kaya. Every normal person knows evening is the time to finish the last projects of the day. You go to sleep and tomorrow you begin a new day. Our system here today in fact makes a lot of sense. 12 o'clock midnight we go from p.m. to a.m. and we begin a new day. In other words, we divide our night into two sections. The first six hours of night from 6 p.m. till 12 a.m belong to the day before, that's like finishing up the day, you come home at 6, you have 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you go to sleep, you prepare to go to sleep, you go to an event, you go to a simcha, you catch up on some stuff, whether it's a social event, or you're you're learning, whatever it is, every person according to their lifestyle and their capacity, and then you get into bed, 12 o'clock a.m., whether you're sleeping already, you're going to sleep, depends who you are, starts your new day psychologically, 12 o'clock a.m., starts a new day, you're preparing for the new day. In fact, the Gemara says in Brachas, the Dover HaMelech had a harp that was suspended above his head, and when midnight came, a northern wind would start playing the harp, and David HaMelech would get out of bed, and he would learn a whole night. That's why he said, I woke up the dawn, the dawn didn't wake up me. In fact, This is a well-known tradition and custom by Jews throughout many generations, especially great people, pious people, who made sure not to sleep after midnight. They went to sleep with nature, and at midnight they woke up before nature. They woke up before the roosters, and they would spend the the second half of the night studying, meditating, praying for redemption, tikkun chatzoi, learning. In fact, the Zohar discusses the auspicious energy that starts Uh, vibrating throughout the cosmos by by midnight. If you go to places in Eastern Europe, I remember when I was there in the summer a few years ago, you're dealing with places that can already start getting light at 1 in the morning, 2 in the morning. So it wasn't always a long time. But the point is, they got up then. Why? It was the beginning of the day. And yet, the Jewish even though people get up in the middle of the night at midnight and it's the time to wake up. But Ultimately, our tradition, our culture, our rituals, halacha, beginning with the Torah and Bereshis, follows a different system. You begin with night, and that's the beginning of the day. I want to give you one very simple, but I think sweet explanation. And then I want to get into a deeper explanation. The first explanation has to do with Human nature and human relationships. Everybody knows when you wake up in the morning, you're fresh. I'm not talking about if you didn't have a chance to sleep and you're miserable and exhausted. But if you had Baruch Hashem, a fine night, a, 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 a normal night, you got back your energy. In the morning, we think differently. When you answer an email, it's with more thoughtfulness. When you study, when you read, when you learn, whatever you're involved in, you simply have more vigor, more energy more alacrity, there's more stamina and vitality. At the beginning of the day, the end of the day, we're exhausted very often. People go to the office, they work very hard, they're creative, there's deals to make, there's issues to deal with, there's challenges to overcome. You want to make ends meet, and you want to be even more, you want to be successful, you want to be affluent, Be'ezer Hashem. you come home, you're exhausted. But here's the question. When do we meet our children? When do we meet our family? When do we spend time? Usually in the evening hours. And what often happens is, those are the hours we're already depleted, we're just looking forward to go to bed. Comes Yiddishkeit, Judaism, and tells us, no, no, no. When you come home from work at 5 o'clock in the evening, 6 o'clock in the evening, that's when the day begins. The day didn't begin when you left to work. That was already, the day was almost over. When you left to work, when you left home to go to work, the day was almost over. That's the morning. The day was already going on all night. You know when the day actually begins? When you walk into the door, coming home from work, that's when the day begins. Those are the hours when you want to be fresh, when you want to be on your best behavior. People often talk about the fact that they don't, they, for their children, for their spouse, they have all the time in the world. But in reality, you don't end up spending any time with them because there's always other considerations. And I say, treat your children not any better, but not any worse than any client. You would pencil in a half an hour for them, an hour for them, right from 2 to 3 in the afternoon. Pencil in two hours for your children. You say, no, I don't have two hours for my kids. I have 24 hours for my kids. And you end up giving them nothing. Can you pencil in that 6 to 8, there's no phone, there's no appointments, there's no email, there's no social media. There's only sitting and schmoozing or playing or having fun and enjoying your children. Bonding with them. So the Torah comes and says, when you come home, don't be at your worst behavior. This is your best behavior. This is the moment when your day begins. This is the moment to embrace life in all of its freshness. But I want to go one step deeper and share with you an insight that we heard from the, that was shared by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Shabbos Bereshis, Tav Shinyur Aleph. Shabbos Bereshis, 1950, 1950. Yeah, Tav 1950. He was actually not led to Lubavitcher Rebbe. Officially, his father-in-law passed away a few months earlier. But he was fabrenging in Shul, Shabbos Beresh. And it's before my days, but there's a transcript of it. And I saw this a number of years ago. It left a very powerful impression on me. And he said, for this, we have to study a very strange story that the Gemara shares in Tractate Shabbos. Reb Zera was one of the greatest Talmudic sages of the time. This is the fourth century after the Common Era, living in Babylonia, present day Iraq. And Abzeda once meets his Rebbe, the great sage, the Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda was considered one of the greatest sages of all times. And Abzeda sees that Rabbi Yehuda is very happy. He's in a charming, um, elevated, and elated mood. His composition exudes a sense of comfort and serenity. And Rabbi Yehuda says to the Bzaida, his student, this is your opportunity to ask any question you would like. Any question you want to raise, I will answer. So now imagine you are given a few minutes with one of the greatest sages of the generation. Somebody whose mastery of Torah and of wisdom in general is legendary. And you're given a few minutes and he tells you any question you want to ask, ask. What would be the question that you would ask? I want to know. Think about it. You could put it into the comments. Well, let me tell you the question that Rebzerah asked Reb Yehuda at that moment. You know what he asked him? He said, I want to ask you a question. <laughs> if there's something called anticlimactic, I think it's this. I always notice that in farms and in fields, the goats walk ahead of the sheep. Why? Why are the sheep usually behind the goats? This is what he says. My time is masgibberisha. And you know what Rabbi Yehuda answered him? Rabbi Yehuda, instead of saying Ribzeda, this is the question you're gonna ask me, he said, I'll tell you why. They follow the energy of creation. First darkness, then light. Usually, as Rashi says, usually most goats, at least in that region, were black. Most sheep are white. What comes first? Darkness or light? Blackness or whiteness? Evening or morning? Take a look at Genesis. First came night, then came day. First the goats walk, and then the sheep walk. The goats are black, and the sheep are white. And blackness comes before whiteness, darkness comes before light, night comes before day. That's how God created the world. That was the answer to Yehuda gave Reb Now I ask you a question: If you had an opportunity to ask the greatest sage a question, this is your question: Is this relevant? He wanted to become a farmer. He was a zoologist. He was studying the nature of goats versus sheep. And why are you asking Reb Yehuda? Go to somebody who spends years with sheep and goats, and I don't think that was Reb Yehuda. And find out. Do research. Google the question and you'll figure it out. I know there was no Google in the 4th century after the Common Era. I know that. But what I meant was that uh, the Gemara says Talmud Chachem Ikra Shabbos. A Torah scholar is called Shabbos. So somebody asked why. So this answer is very simple. Because the rest of the week you have Google. You don't have to be a Talmud Chachem. Google. Everybody is a Talmud Chacham. Shabbos you actually have to know your stuff because Shabbos, there's no Google. What is going on in this story? The truth is the message of the story is profound and it teaches us the secret of life, my dearest friends. And it teaches us the secret of today's gathering. Rib Zayda wasn't only asking a question about goats and sheep. He was asking a question about life and the question about life is what Rabbi Yehuda was addressing yes it's coded in sheep and goats but it's really a profound question and that is why is it that we live in a world where darkness precedes light why is it that all great people, in order to achieve greatness, must go through equally great challenges. Why is it that the greater the person, the greater the challenges? Why is it that the greater the discovery, the deeper the anxiety and the toil and the stress that preceded the discovery? Why is it that the greatest light is always born from darkness. Why? Moshe breaks the tablets. He's sad. He's melancholy. God says, make new tablets. Moshe can't comfort himself. And God says, don't worry, the second tablets will be superior to the first tablets. Why couldn't those tablets be the original tablets? Why is it that from confusion comes a deeper form of clarity? From crisis comes the deepest opportunity. From addiction comes the deepest recovery. From illness comes the deepest form of health. From darkness comes the deepest form of light. Why is it that I have to descend into the abyss in order to touch my infinite depth? Why is it? Why is it that I sometimes have to go through so much pain and so much heartache and so much grief in order to be able to discover who I really am? In order to be able to discover what life really is? In order to be able to discover God? In order to be able to discover truth? Why must I have to dig through so many layers of falsehood in order to discover truth. It was your leader, Sir Winston Churchill, who once said that in a time of war, the truth is so precious, it must be protected by so many bodyguards of lies. Why is it that if I want the superficial truth, it will be there on the surface? But if I want the real truth, I'm going to have to dig and go through layers of gravel and debris and dirt and soil and earth until I find the wellspring, the Be'er Mayim Chayim, deep beneath it. Why? The Gemara says in Megillah, if somebody says, I toiled and I didn't discover, don't believe them. I didn't toil and I discovered, don't believe them. What's the secret? <laughs> So, Rabbi Yehuda says, Let me tell you something. Let me explain to you how creation works. First is darkness, then is light. First are the goats, then are the sheep. <speaking in Hebrew> what is he telling him? In fact, sheep and goats are very different types of creatures. Yaakov is compared to the sheep. Esav Hifrid Yakov. is Ish Sayer. Sayer is considered the goat. The goats, goats are much more sly, they're much more shrewd, they're less tamed, they're much more wild, they're less inhibited, they have much more chutzpah. Sheep are much more docile, much more reserved, much more submissive, much more compassionate. Till today in English, we call certain people sheep. They're followers, they're not leaders. They're much more submissive. They surrender easily. Goats are much tougher you say, ah, ah is as stubborn as a goat in, in Yiddish. A, an alte tsig, an old goat, <laughs> an alte buck, tough. So the path to the sheep goes through the goat. Rabbi Zeta wants to understand the secret. And Rabbi Huda tells him, I have to explain to you something about life. The destination of life is not darkness. The destination of life is Light. Life is about light, not darkness. Because life comes from the source of light and the source of goodness and the source of clarity. We don't end off our day with darkness. We do not. We start off our day with darkness. We don't end off our day with darkness. We end off our day with light. When the sun sets, it's the beginning of a new day that's going to end with light. Because the ultimate destiny and purpose of everybody and everything is light. You were not meant to live in darkness and in confusion and in sadness and in despair and in depression and in melancholy and in toxicity and in confusion and in insecurity and in fear and in trauma. You were meant to find and live in a world of oil in a live a lively. The ultimate destiny of the cosmos is we sit and we glow in the radiance, we bathe in the radiance and the glow, the ziv, the ziv, the ziv hashchina. Our days don't end with darkness, our days end with light. The Jewish answer to the question, did Mashiach come yet, is not yet. He's coming, but not yet. But not yet. The, dark, the light is not behind us, it's always ahead of us. So what is then the work of creation? The work of creation is, and this is what Rebihut says, you have to understand the world. God did not create a world of light. God created a factory to create light. When you create a factory, it's a place to manufacture, to produce, to take raw materials and to turn them into the end product. That's what you need a factory for. There's no factory to create oxygen. Thank God we have a world filled with oxygen. That's how we can live. There's no factory to create water. God provided water in our planet. Thank God. And 70% of our bodies filled with water. That's how we live. When we create a factory, it's to take raw materials and to transform them into something. means our world is a world with His darkness, with His confusion, with His promiscuity, with His temptation where there's inclination to violence, where there's an inclination to negativity. A world where there is room for distortions, for confusions, for scars, for wounds, for trauma, from within or from without, directly or indirectly, consciously or unconsciously. But this is the world which became, which was a factory to manufacture light out of darkness, to take the night and to transform it into day. Vayi erev, vayi voiker. And reveal that they're one, that they're really one, that even the darkness is a prerequisite, it's a prelude for light. The whole purpose and function of darkness is to serve as the raw material, which now you, running the factory, you are the manufacturer, every person is the manufacturer. You take this raw material and you turn those very circumstances into light. That's the human calling, that's the human destiny, that's the revolution of the human being, Hashem himself, pre-creation, could not do this, so to speak. God is light. Da'arizal begins his famous Kabbalistic texts, pre-creation, the infinite light of God, pervaded the entire space and expanse, physically and conceptually, of existence. There was no room for anything else. How does the creation begin? With tzimtzum. Tzimtzum is not a Chinese dish. Tzimtzum is a Kabbalistic term of Rabbi Isaac Luria, 16th century Kabali. passed away 1572 in Sfas. Tzimtzum is spelled T-Z-I-M-T-Z-U-M. Tzimtzum, Tzadik Mem, Tzadik Vav Mem. What is Tzimtzum? Tzimtzum is basically Vayi Erev. The beginning of creation is an act of self-suspension. The light has been suspended. The light has been concealed. God creates what's called in Arizal's writings, a hollow, an empty space, a makam panu, a space that's vacant from the experience of the divine infinite presence. In other words, creation begins with darkness, not with light. The Gemara says in Pesachim Nun, the word olam, the word for world in Hebrew is olam. Olam means a world. The etymology of the word olam is helam, concealment. It's in this week's parasha, I'm just quoting the Talmudic words quoted in Rashi. Olam comes from the word helam. why? Because the very definition of the world is that it conceals. Why is this so important? It's so important because when you understand the purpose of the factory, you never get disillusioned and you never get despondent. If I walk into a factory and I don't understand the function of the factory and I'm expecting the final product to be here ready, then I'm disappointed. I get into a bad mood. What's happening? Everybody's paralyzed. But when I walk into the factory and I understand that the function of the factory is that I bring in raw materials and through the work, through the machinery and through the skills of those who work the factory, I transform and metamorphosize the raw material into the end product. I don't get disillusioned, I don't get upset. This is my avoider Why do we get dejected in life? We get dejected in life because we're expecting no concealment. So God says, no, 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 the world starts off with symptoms, The world starts off with a void. The world starts off with darkness. But let me explain to you, not because the destination of dar- is darkness, because you are empowered at every single moment to look at the darkness and to say, I know your secret. You are here so that I can transform you into light. King Solomon, Shlomo Melech, writes in Kohelis, in Ecclesiastes, er The advantage of wisdom over folly is like the advantage of light over darkness. the Zohar says, really, you need King Solomon to tell you that wisdom is better than stupidity and light is better than darkness? So one of the explanations in the Hasidic text is min has." The greatest wisdom is the wisdom that comes from folly. There's no recovery and no healing, like the healing that comes from addiction, from tasting the other side, from knowing the language of pain, when you transform negative energy and turn it into a catalyst for recovery. It's the deepest energy in the world. There's no light like the light not the advantage of light from darkness, the advantage of light over darkness. The advantage of light that comes from darkness. The The revolution of the Jew in this world is to be able to take the Erev and to turn it into arevus, to turn it into sweetness. Call you straw, arevim zebazah. Said the Baal Shem Tev, The Gemara says in Shvuos, all Jews are guarantors for each other. The word arevim means a guarantor. Arev, it also means sweet. All Jews are sweet towards each other. You know how when you eat a cotton candy, you feel the taste of sugar? It's sweet? Or you eat some other things and they're sweet. I'm not discussing if it's healthy or not, but it's sweet. Your taste buds get excited. Baal Shem Tev says, you see another Jew. If you're in touch with your soul, you feel a sense of sweetness overcoming you. Call Yisrael arev. Ayid is like a shmak, is like Michael arev means a shmak, a piece of food. You meet a Jew, ah, a shmak. It's a shmak. If I'm not feeling the sweetness when I meet you, you know, remember how the Russians would drink tea? I mean, it's the house I grew up, in. they would have a cup of tea, right? And a sugar cube. They wouldn't put the sugar cube in the tea. You put the sugar cube in your teeth and you drink the tea, and the tea passes the sugar cube. An interesting way of drinking your tea. You see a Jew you say, Ah, here's my sugar cube. You sweeten my life. Vaharavno <mandatory> Ashemalakeno is diveralsk. Veseravno also means mixed. Taruvus, la arev, everything is mixed. Jews are sweet towards each other because we're mixed, we're integrated, we're one. And that's why we're guarantors for each other. We take the darkness of Erev, we turn it into arevus. You turn it into Boiker. You reveal Einoid mulvada, Yoim echot, everything is achdos, it's really one. There is light which appears as light and there's light which appears as darkness in order to empower and allow for the human being to flex his psychological, emotional, spiritual and physical muscles and transform the Erev into Boiker. And then we create the Achtoz, the oneness in creation. So yes, I'm born with a nature that has darkness inside. I sometimes have impulses and sometimes I'm carrying around scars and traumas that are very dark. They're confusing they are overwhelming. Sometimes I'm dealing with toxicity. I'm dealing with pain. Sometimes I'm dealing with a crisis in health. That's why we're here today. Sometimes you're dealing with a crisis in finance. and you're dealing with a crisis in your marriage, in your relationship with your children, in your relationship with your family. Sometimes you're dealing with a crisis because of things that you didn't even choose. It's not about your choice. Sometimes it's a childhood situation, And sometimes it's not even our generation. Epigenetics, there's intergenerational trauma that's coming out today as we speak somehow after Corona, even more. The question is not whether you chose it and if you're guilty or not. Vai Erev, life begins with so many forces that can overwhelm me, that can derail me, that can confuse me, that can break me. But the end of our day is not night, the end of our day is light. Because the whole purpose of Erev in life is only to be able to transform it into light that's its whole purpose so you say but who needs it why why I don't have the answer why God created the world the way he created it ultimately there are questions I certainly don't have the answer it's very hard for a finite brain to wrap itself around infinity but one thing we do know our world is not a place of light our world is a factory to create light and that's that makes all the difference even the tzaddik, I fall that's not the problem the problem is if I stay down if I don't realize that the only reason I fell the only reason I stumbled the only reason I went through what I went through even if it's difficult and painful and it warrants a lot of tears is in order to be able to bring me to a much deeper and brighter and lighter place and to be able to turn me into an ambassador of that light and hope and goodness and love and healing and redemption for the people around me, for the communities around me for all of my people and ultimately for the whole world that's what Rabbi Yehuda was telling Rebzeir do not get discouraged do not get disillusioned, do not get despondent. Do we know why we go through struggles? No, we don't. We don't have prophets among us to be able to tell me or tell you, this is why you have to go through this, this is why you have to go this. because of this, because of that. But what we do know is that every crisis is an opportunity. And every obstacle is a challenge that is here to be able to help us transform darkness into light. How it happens, we don't always know. Why it happens, we certainly don't always know. But never should we doubt our ability to be able to look at the darkness and see it and feel it and feel the pain, feel the texture of darkness. You don't have to be afraid. Because what this teaches us is two points and both are equally powerful. Number one, All darkness is here to be transformed. Number two, you never have to be afraid of darkness. Don't fear touching the texture of darkness. You know why? Because if you really touch it, you will discover it's secret, that it's light. We are so afraid of touching the texture of our darkness because we're scared it's going to kill us, but it's really the opposite. When you can actually touch it, you will find God there. Moshe Rabbeinu is frightened to touch that snake and God says, no, 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 it's my stick that became a snake. Don't be afraid. No, 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 we are afraid of my snakes. God says, go, go, go touch it and you'll see it's my stick. Because Judaism doesn't believe in absolute darkness, because Judaism doesn't believe in ultimate darkness, unlike the Greeks and unlike many other cultures, therefore we're not afraid of it. We can walk into that space. And touch it. Because we know that what I'm really touching is an invitation of the divine to transform my darkness into light. And that's why when creation is over, after every day, what does it say? Vayara God saw and it was good. The end of the day it's toiv. Vayara lakim And goodness is always associated with light. At the end of the day it's light. There was a girl I knew, a very, very special person. She is already in the Ilama MS. And she used to sign her name, her email. She would, At the end, it's going to be okay. And if it's not okay, it's, it's not the end. We are the nation of hope. We have seen darkness throughout history. Who have we seen darkness? But when we looked at darkness, we knew it's the beginning, it's never the end. Vayi Erev, yes, Bereshach HaShoicha. But Vahoda Nahirid, there's going to be a Vayi and ultimately it's Echad, it's Yayim Echad. They both create Achdos, they both create one. We don't say Yachid, we say Echad. There's Yachid. Yachid means singular, Echad means one. It's very different. Before creation, God was Yachid. Yachid by Lamay. After creation, there's a lot of multiplicity. There's darkness and the light. Now we have to reveal the Echad. And Echad is, of course, the numerology of 13, which is the numerology of love. We do that always through love. That's why the Gemara Psachim, people are learning now, how does Psachim begin? Or so for two pages, the Gemara struggles with the word Oyer. What does Oyer mean? What's Oyer? The light of the 14th, you have to check the chametz. It's also the parishes of these weeks. matzah, Pesach. What's Oyer? Amach is night. is day. P'sukim and dozens of verses from the whole Tanakh. da'v gimel, to figure out what Oyer is. Finally, slam dunk the Gemara proves that or is night <laughs> you check the chametz not by day you check the Khamets at night the night of the 14th the night before the Seder you check the chametz. <laughs> and finally we want to know my timer why doesn't he just say lele le. just say night no he has to say "Eir." and for two pages the Gemara has to struggle struggle what it means. Come on. So the Meiri asked this question and he says, Pesach Dvarecha yoyer. You got to open up with light. You have to open up with oil, not with night, with light. One second, we just said, V'yere vay, You should start the Mesechta with Leil. But the answer to this, my friends, is very simple and very profound. We all have chametz in our life. Chametz represents the unleavened bread things that have to be worked on the inflated ego which always comes from inflated insecurity because the ego compensates for for it i have to have an ego because i have insecurity ego stands for easing god out i have to compensate for my insecurities i have to have a pompous ego you know narcissistic people are the people who don't really exist inside if i have no place to call my own i need every place to be mine We have chametz that we have to search for. But the Mishnah says, You search your chametz at night, not by day. But you always have to do it with a vision of er with light. If you don't believe in your ultimate light, if you don't believe that you are light, we say every morning, We say every morning, the soul that you have imbued in me is tahiru. What does tahiru mean? It means pure. But in Aramaic, Tahiru means light. Tahiru is light. So the Balatanya says, Neshama asata nesatibi tahiri." the soul that you have imbued in me is filled with light. It's light because it's divine. And godliness is light. It's light and it's light in both meanings. Pun intended. It's full of light. It's full of radiance. It's full of brightness. It's full of clarity. It's full of attachment. But that soul that is filled with light is sent into a world that is oilam, that is filled with darkness. But the, the soul comes from a place that's deeper than oilam. And therefore you're never entangled by darkness. You're never defined by darkness. You're sent into darkness in order to reveal that the darkness is also a version of light. Ein oid mulvadi. And it doesn't mean the darkness is not sometimes overwhelming and confusing and painful and difficult and mysterious. It's very mysterious. But the soul doesn't get disturbed by it because you have to have a vision of oy. Oh. You come from light and your destiny is light. And therefore you go through darkness and you transform the darkness into light. And that's the story of history, that's the story of creation. So at the end of every day, God says it's good. And at the end of the six days, God says. Everything is wonderful, is beautiful. And yet there's a Talmud, the Gemara says in Eriven, which some of you learned not long ago, Eriven, Daf Yud-Gimbal, that there was a debate for two and a half years between the school of Hillel and the school of shaman, And the question was, would have it been better to be created or not? Would have it been easier for a person not to be created or to be created? For two and a half years, that's 30 months, <laughs> This is what I call our Jewish debate. Two and a half years, some of the greatest sages of the time, the school of Shama and the school of Hillel, this is the first century after the, the first century of the Common Era. Two and a half years they're debating. Rome is taking over the world. Jerusalem is soon going to be torn apart, but they're sitting in the tieebul. and what are they arguing about? Would have it been better to be created or not to be created? And the question is, what do you mean? God says that it was good. How are you arguing with Hashem? It says in Chumash, he decides it's good, and the Jews are saying, maybe not. <laughs> this seems audacious. The answer, of course, is it says in Lakut The argument is not if it's good or not. The argument is if noyach, if it's comfortable. There's two words in Hebrew. There's a word called toiv, which is good. There's a word called noyach, which is comfortable. Very different words. God says that creation is good. There's no question about that. The question is, is it noyach? Is it comfortable? Is it easy? Is it smooth? Is it serene? This they debate for two and a half years. The school of Hillel says it's comfortable. Life is good. Life is geshmak. The school of Shammai says, no, 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 no. It's good, but it's not comfortable. Life is tough. The road less traveled by, I think, starts off with that line. Life is tough. And once you can accept that, life doesn't have to be tough anymore. Bershamah says, no, life is tough. And once you can accept that, that life is tough and life is scary, then it doesn't have to be scary, it doesn't have to be tough. Once I can come into a place and know this is a factory of raw material that has to be transformed... Then I can celebrate. Now I can party. Toiv leiv That's how Shulchan ends. The Ramah says, Toiv leiv A good heart is always feasting. But I have to know, I'm coming into a world that can be confusing. Once you know that, you know your mission statement, you know your objective, now you're not startled, now you're not overwhelmed, you don't get dejected. This is my work. My work is the work of transformation until Mashiach comes. What's the verdict in Gemara? The verdict of Gemara is <laughs> It would have been more comfortable not to be created. There are those who feel that it would have been comfortable to be created. But the verdict is it would have been easier not to. But you know what? It's still good. It's not a contradiction. Because the fact that I'm facing a challenge doesn't mean it's not good. It's good. If it wouldn't be good, God would have not given it to me. God is the source and essence of good. But this is a goodness that travels through a challenge. This is the light that is created from darkness and through darkness. Yes, it would have been wonderful if I had no temper. It would have been wonderful if I had no uh, binging habits. It would have been wonderful if I had no confusion. It would have been wonderful if I had nothing to fix in my life. No midas to repair. But when I do bite my lips, and when I do repair myself, and when I do grow deeper, and when I do challenge my instincts, and when I face my fear, and when I transform my addictions, and when I deal with my anxiety, ooh, it's not comfortable, but it's toiv ma'od. I create not just goodness, excessive goodness. The Medrash says, toiv You know what very good means? God soul was very good. What does it mean? Good and very good. You know what the Medrash says? Toiv zemalachayim. Good is the angel of life. Ba- very good is the angel of death. Is this comical or what? What's the answer, my dearest friends? The answer is there is goodness and there is infinite goodness. The goodness in life is that which appears to us as the angel of life, the infinite goodness is that which appears to us as the opposite of life, that which challenges my life, that which takes the energy, it depletes me from my energy, it deprives me from my stamina, that which seems like the antithesis of life, that's where the infinite goodness lay. It's so powerful that it's completely concealed. Because it's beyond my vessels. It's not something I can see with my eyes. The way my brain interprets it is, this is horrible. So the guitarist says, this is ma'id. It's not toiv, it's Ma'id. It's beyond your kalim. It's beyond your hasag. It's beyond your containers. Therefore, you can't see it as good. You see it as the opposite. And when you take this and you look at it and you work with it, and you go deeper into it, you'll discover the ma'id. The victory, the transformation, the Vayi era I have the privilege of speaking to people a lot, reading people's emails, speaking to people in person or not in person, hearing from people. And during my travels over the last two decades, I had the privilege of meeting so many different types of people from all different communities and walks of life and backgrounds. Jews, religious Jews, secular Jews, traditional Jews, right-wingers, left-wingers, this type of religious Jews, this type of religious Jew, and also non-Jews. And there's always that common denominator that I see, that there's people were faced with challenge and not only did they not surrender but they embraced it with resilience and clarity and faith even though there were a lot of tears and there's a lot of pain and there's grief and you cannot skip that step i cannot make believe that there's no night and there's no darkness and you know why? Not only because if, if I will, I will be in denial. And denial is not only a river in Egypt, it's part of people's lives. And denial comes back to bite me. Not only that. Because if I deny it, I actually can't transform it. Sometimes we think we're going to deny the confusion and the darkness. and we will be in a better place. Then you can't transform it. If it's near in my life, I have to embrace it. Because my job is not to run away from it. My job is to transform it. <laughs> The Zoya has an expression, to transform darkness into light and bitterness into sweetness. And I've always met these people and they are such a source of inspiration because they teach us all how we can take our own moments of weakness and our own failures and our own struggles and our own adversity and our own skeletons and demons, and ghosts, and insecurities, and fears. And instead of ducking and surrendering to mediocrity, and surrendering to fear, to really allow these very forces to be able to turn us into the greatest people that we can be, to turn us into ambassadors of infinity, not only ambassadors of Toiv, ambassadors of Toiv meoid And certainly our dear friends, Reb Michal. Michael, of Moshe Michal, Ben Always was, always is, and will be such a person, such an ambassador to teach people about toiv and toiv mo'aid, even in circumstances that are not charming and not fun, to put it mildly, as his sibling, Chayisara. So on this day, on this night, I'm speaking to you during the day. I know in London the sun has set, in Jerusalem the sun has set. So we have here the synthesis of vahi erev, vahi vayker yoy As we come together to fuse darkness and light, to fuse night and day, to transform night into the day and darkness into light, we come to that place that the Tehillim describes in 139, when night will shine brightly as day, because we'll be able to see the divine light in everything, and then night will shine just like day. May it be speedily in our days. Amen. Thank you so, so very much. I'm going to take some questions. You can uh, you can oh people here wrote so let me go to the questions and we'll take a few minutes of questions. You see near the video on the yeshiva.net there's que- when you when you you see it says either on the side of the video or under the video, depends if you're using a phone or a computer or a tablet. Just ask a question and you could put in any question you would like. Okay, how do I get the video of this to show somebody later? Well, it's going to be here. It's going to be posted on this website, theyeshiva.net, dot where where you are now if you're watching. T h e y e s h i v a dot net, and here my videos are posted, and the live classes are played, and you could watch a replay afterwards. So you'll uh, you'll be able to watch it. When is your next class? Our next class is Tuesday morning, 9.45 a.m. Eastern Time, New York Time. We have a weekly class, Tuesday morning, 9.45. It's a woman's class, but the men usually tune in. That's going to be tomorrow morning, New York Time, 9.45. Obviously in Britain or Israel, it will be in the afternoon. And you could watch it here too on theyeshiva.net. This is where I give my live classes. They're streamed here. Question. Before darkness, before creation, there was light. So the darkness was for us, and the divine light that existed before we created, before we that light will come back, yeah, that's what Darizal that result teaches. Pre-creation, there was only infinite light. God created a, a, a space of emptiness, it's called a void. And now we bring the infinite light into the void, but we do something much deeper than the state of before creation. Before creation, there was just light. Through creation and our work in creation we now transform darkness into light that didn't exist pre creation. Next question. How do you define you mentioned the word spiritual? How do you define spiritual? Okay, well that's a that's a, a deep and philosophical question. Um but generally speaking, the idea of spiritual is I would say that which is not tangible, which we don't grasp with the five senses, we grasp it more through. Transcendent experiences, things like faith, hope, love, or reverence, right Although some want to say these are just products of the brain, the brain is a machine, and it just produces all of these sensations and emotions. it's nothing but the physical, tangible reality. But even those hardcore uh, people who deny any aspect of a soul or a transcendent reality have a very difficult time describing consciousness, the source of consciousness, how a physical machine can produce all these types of thoughts, right? So it's, uh, it's, so the spiritual is really that which allows us to tap into the that which is not brute and tangible. And today we know that even the brute and tangible is not really brute and tangible because if you have a microscope, you see that there is a uh, there is a very uh, powerful universe there. I want to thank you for this class full of uh, light, hope, and healing. And I want to ask a question, and that is, how do I implement this in my life? How do I apply this in my life? I think the first thing that we have to it's a great question. I think the first thing we have to do is every morning when we wake up, I think it's important to meditate on this. Because we wake up after night. We wake up as the sun rises a little earlier, a little later. The advantage of waking up before sunrise, before dawnbreak, or Ira Hashachar is that you wake up during the night and you can welcome the day. So you get a head start on the transformation. But whenever you wake up in the morning, it's important you say, to align yourself with this core of light that exists in you, the divine light. Every soul is a chalik, eleka imal mamash. It's a fragment of God. So in the morning you want to anchor yourself in your core divine infinite essence. And then you take on the day from that inner space. So you take on the day with much more serenity, with much more equilibrium. And when things trigger you during the day, you have the stamina and the hashkafe, the veltanschauung, the perspective that allows you to respond to it from a place of inner alignment and serenity. At least that's the beginning. the beginning of this process. Next question. If darkness precedes light... Are there moments that are just too dark for us to handle? (sighs) Yes. What should I tell you? There are moments of very, very heavy darkness. And it's important to accept that these, you know, this can be a speech, but it's not a speech. When it comes to people's challenges, it can be very, very tough. And it's not just, oh, it's dark, you'll transform it into light. We have to be able to sit with the pain and to be able to really feel it in our body. And then from there, we can come to a deeper clarity. So we can't always just say, oh, every darkness I can just transform. Sometimes the darkness is so shocking, it's so confusing, it's so powerful, it's so tragic. We have no words, we just have to be humble and take off our shoes like Moshe did in front of the burning bush. But, but ultimately, ultimately, we are the people of eternity, the people who have always had the courage to look darkness in the face and say, we're going to stand up again. We're going to live yet again. The motto of the Jewish people has always been, as the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs would say, Loi Amos." I will not die. I will live and tell of the glory of God. And David HaMelech knew a thing or two about this sentiment because he could have easily just surrendered to despair. But he woke up every day and he said, Loy Amos Ki Echye How do you you transform a situation when the person you're trying to transform doesn't want to be transformed? I would like to help somebody, but he doesn't really really want to be helped. So how how do I transform him? At such a time, at such a moment, you have to transform yourself. Instead of getting angry and judgmental and dismissive, and blaming him, this means that he may not be ready yet, or she may not be ready. So go into yourself. you got to do the inner work. You know, we are all limbs of one body. Sometimes your trainer, or nutritionist, or physician, or healer, will tell you, we can't help this limb, but we can help other limbs. And by strengthening other limbs, this limb will also be affected, because the blood circulation that flows through this limb will, will increase and other side benefits. So, by work, will help this limb that's, ail- that's, in, that's suffering, that's ailing. The same is true spiritually. We are all interconnected. You remember, Cholesterol, I Raven. I may not be able right now to transform your limb, but I can transform mine. I can go into a much deeper place within myself, I can find a deeper place of love and acceptance, and light. And you know what? My mindset will help you. Tracht gut, sein gut. When I'm in a certain mindset, it affects you by osmosis. We affect each other. We all affect each other, especially when you're dealing with close family members, where there's even a deeper connection, biologically, not just spiritually, and not just over a long genealogy and a long chain of history, but there's direct connection. My mindset, my attitude, my work on myself affects each one of my children. That's number one. Number two, be open to every opportunity to be able to reach out to them. Don't be afraid. Sometimes it may be humbling. Maybe you have to be vulnerable. Maybe buy a gift. Maybe apologize. I don't know the situation. Send an email. But don't stop. Don't get angry. Don't get resentful. Don't cut yourself off emotionally from another person. If there is value in that connection. Sometimes there's a family member you're not on speaking terms with. Don't cut them off from your life. It's important to mend relationships. And even if they're not ready, continue to reach out. And ultimately, when we show love, that love comes back to us. Kamayim haponim the, 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 the King Solomon says, right, love is like a mirror. The image I show the mirror, the mirror will reflect back to me. Another person is like a mirror. When I show you love... You don't even have a choice. You're going to show me back love. That's, how, that's the nature of a human being, a healthy. now. Sometimes a person is locked up. They're, they're, they're in a dysfunctional state. Fine. Accept that. Embrace it. Grieve with them. Pray for them. But you don't shut down. You don't shut down. So that when they're ready, they'll, they'll have somebody to reach out to. Can you talk more about this? <laughs> Uh, we have people who have to go to sleep. I spoke before about people who go to sleep at night. Do you want everybody to stay up a whole night? <laughs> Listen, we could talk a lot about this, but uh, but uh, but I think you get the point. And, you know, I often talk about these things. So if you want to learn more about this, you can go to the website, to the yeshiva.net, and you could search uh, forgiveness or these types of topics, and uh, you will see some other classes that we uh, that we have about this. Okay, my friends, I want to wish you all well. I want to thank everybody for coming. Again, thank you so much to the Wexler family who have dedicated this year for the for a complete and speedy recovery of Meshachalb ben Tamalea and bas Tamalea. And as we began, may God grant you both a complete and speedy recovery of Schleimer of krayva. Many, many long, happy, healthy, beautiful, amazing, incredible, powerful. Passionate years filled with vikar, may all the darkness in your lives may all the illnesses may all the challenges be transformed into blessings. in the most revealed way, Laila Kayam the light the night should shine like the day. All the obstacles should be transformed into opportunities and to blessings. B'mhei Rabi Ameinu. Amen. Thank you very, very much. Good night. This class is brought to you by the Yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.